0: Great job, guys. Good evening, everybody. Good evening. I'm just going to get my, my laptop here going, and then we'll, uh, we'll get started. Uh, good afternoon. Hi. Come on in. Have a seat. Have a seat. I was actually talking to Charlie there. Hey, Charlie. Uh, last week, we talked about Jonah. Remember Jonah? Yeah. The prophet. And I, I asked you... To consider last week to look at yourself as we look at Jonah. Because it's easy to throw rocks at Jonah. It's e- yeah. He's an easy guy to go, look at that guy. Yeah. And I just well, I asked you guys if you would consider to put yourself in the thoughts and attitudes of Jonah. Yeah. And we're going to continue that thread as we talk about the Bible. We talk about Jonah. We want to be able to look at the Bible and use it as a mirror so that God can help us grow. God can reveal truths to us. God can lead us and God can guide us. You know, I entitled the, uh, the lesson is Jonah the Rebel Prophet. Because, you know, he's as much as rebel as we are. If you know what I mean? He, he definitely is. Uh, Jonah has that rebel side to him. We have a rebel side to us. And it was, it was not really common... For prophets to go sideways like Jonah. That was uncommon. This story is very strange. And I'm going to talk a little bit about some of the strange things. Besides the fish that are in the story. We left Jonah off at chapter 1. Where he was thrown over the boat by these uh, pagan sailors. Who felt guilty for doing it. But they did it nonetheless. It calmed the sea. And then a big fish came and swallowed Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of that fish for three whole days. Wow, Man, and I, I, I tell you, I can't go deep sea fishing. <laughs> I've tried many times. You can name this book, because of the response of Jonah, this book can be called The Book of God's Scandalous Mercy. Because that's how Jonah looked at it. This was scandalous to go to the Ninevites and tell them anything about God because they just might, they just might change. And Jonah was unwilling to risk that. And so he ran from God. And then God, in his love, chases him down. Now, he runs in chapter 1. He's in the belly in chapter 2. In chapter 3, he obeys. And then God flexes his muscles. And we're going to look at that chapter today. It's chapter 3 where Jonah obeys. He's in the belly of the fish. He's there and he's thinking about, how did I get myself here? Why am I here? And it appears from the chapter that he he goes, okay, I'll fulfill the office of prophet. But the question still remains, did his heart change? Because you know you can do things without your heart changing? And what does God do? God still pursues you. Because he doesn't really want your, you know, your conformity. God wants your hearts. And we yeah. talked about that last week. Right. And so this story is about how God reacts to us and to Jonah when we rebel. God wants our hearts. God wants us. He wants your life. And we've all told God... I'm not interested in what you want. We've all done that in our, in our Christianity. Where we've told God, I'm not interested in what you have to offer me and where you're calling me and where you want me to grow. I'm not that interested. We all have a little bit of Jonah in us. And so we have, we have the text here in chapter 3, verse 1. It says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. You know, God is about second chances. I love that. The the fish dumps them off on land. And then the word of the Lord comes to Jonah. Because God's a big, big, big fan of second chances. In your most rebellious times, God keeps pursuing us. In Jonah's most rebellious moments, God is pursuing Jonah. Right. He doesn't stop pursuing. God doesn't stop chasing you when you run from him. Your parents might have given up something. Oh, let everyone let we'll figure it out. Like my parents did. God pursues. God chases. You want to know why? Because God wants humanity to be a part of his family. You know, Assyria came from Nimrod in Genesis chapter 10. This, these people were once God's people. But they just got distant and they got lost. God pursues humanity because he wants humanity to be a part of his family. It says in, in, in 1 Timothy, God wants all men to be saved. That's been his whole plan from the beginning. And so... We read on. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city, and it took three days to go through it. We know because of excavation. We know because of history that Nineveh had a wall around it. Let me show you a picture or two. There's an artist's rendition. It has moats. It's got a, it has a major river. Here's another picture. just an artist's rendition of what the excavation shows. It was a great city. Its walls were 50 feet high. Some parts of the wall were taller than that. It had 1,500 reconnaissance towers. It was protected from foreign invasions. Walls were important in the ancient days. No political pun intended. You know, they were important back then. <laughs> Jerusalem had a wall because it's a sign of disgrace. You're defenseless. In and around the walls, about 120,000 people, the text says, lived there. It had a 60-mile circumference, three days to walk, 20 miles per day. Sharing your faith for 20 miles per day. It was the capital city. Its military was the most feared in all the world. It was known for its brutality. Known for their beheadings. Known for the treatment of their own children. If they didn't want them, they would kill them. That's why they had no problem dashing the the heads of babies on rocks of conquered kingdoms. They had no problem. If they killed their own, they have no problem killing your own. These were the most feared, most grotesque, most brutal nation of its time. Many prophets spoke against it, but Jonah got the call to go and save them. And how in the world would God want them to be saved? Because God is pursuing everyone. We talked about people that have hurt you and that have injured you and that you become Jonah. I'm not talking to them. I'm not, I'm not talking to that guy. I'm not talking to that person. They've injured me. And we in many ways can be like Jonah. In our relational world, with people in our world that God has supernaturally and strategically put in our life, sometimes they injure us because we know them. We have a relationship with them. And we can cut them off from God because they've injured us. So Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days. And Nineveh, will be overthrown. Now, I don't know if he said anything else. It doesn't tell us any more than that. That was the message that the text gives us in what he says. I mean, obviously, he was an, he, you know, he was an outsider. These people never saw Jonah before. You know, to Jesus, Jonah was a sign to the Ninevites. And Jesus talks about the Ninevites later on in the New Testament when he's talking to the Pharisees. He says, hey, you guys better repent because the, if the Ninevites repent... Anyone could change. And so Jonah goes to Nineveh. I mean, I don't know what he looked like. He just came out of a belly of a fish for three days. I don't know what the gastric juices does to the human body after three days of being in the belly. I know when something comes out of my stomach for three days, it doesn't look good. I can't imagine what the nurses must see in our our congregation at hospitals. I, I mean, I don't know if he looked gross. I don't know if Jonah took the time to make himself look better to a people he hated anyway. I don't know what he looked like. But he goes in there and says, 40 days. You know, 40 days, just to give you a little bit of a little dive deeper into the, the Bible. It's a motif. It's a theme in the Bible. You see, and it's it's oh, it seems to be associated with humiliation. Um. 40 days that Moses, Elijah, Jesus fasted while he was being tempted. They spent 40 years in the desert because they lacked faith to go to the promised land. 40 years after Jesus' ministry, the temple was destroyed. So there's a little motif about 40, meaning it's a, it's a, it's a period of humiliation. And so, this is the preaching. Now, we don't know... Anything more than that. At this point, it's, it's in the Hebrew text, it's five words. In the English, it's more. Forty days and Nineveh will be overthrown. That was the message. At this point, that was it. Because God's word is more powerful than anything. And for us who feel like I don't really like to reach out to my relational world, to the people that God has put in my life, You start to think, well, I don't know much about the Bible. I wish I knew more about, I I wish it was like you and Joe and all these guys who teach. You don't have to know much of the Bible. I think it's a good idea to study your Bible. I think it's good to learn the Bible. That way you can expand your arsenal. When you intersect with people, you'll have more confidence. You'll have more convictions and you'll be able to say God's word with confidence. We should learn from the Bible, but it doesn't take much to pack a punch when you're speaking God's truth. It doesn't take much to do that. What I've been doing lately, with when I'm sharing my relational world, I've been invoking the name of Jesus. Now, I used to not do that because I used to shudder when I heard people say, Jesus. And it'd make me, sh- going, that's too religious. I just, that makes my skin crawl when someone does that. And then it'd be like a random situation, it's like they'd be sitting down, Jesus saves. And I'm like, that is creepy. And that turned me off. So I was reluctant to use that name even though it's powerful. But what I have been doing is I've been using it and invoking his name. Hey, Jesus says this. Jesus is pursuing all of us. Jesus died and rose from the... That name of Jesus, when someone hears it, it's powerful. Because God's word is more powerful than anything. And he was telling the Ninevites, 40 more days... And Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloths, and sat down. In the dust. That cloth looks like black goat hair, like a little bodysuit, like a little pant you put on over your head and it covers your torso. It can cover your head at times, depending on what kind of style you want it. And it was to display an outward sign of an inward mourning, an inward shame. And here you have the head of state, the king of the most powerful, most feared nation of all the world. He rises up, hearing the words from Jonah, and he puts on sackcloth. He embraces a Jewish custom because of the words that Jonah said. God's word is more powerful than anything. And then he puts out this proclamation. Proclamation. He says, this is the proclamation he issued to to Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. Do not let people or animals, herds or flocks taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. Do not let people or animals, herd or flocks, eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God, Yahweh, let them give up their evil ways and their violence. I thought it was kind of funny because you know, I maybe mean, the animals wear the sackcloth. <laughs> so I wouldn't be that guy. You're a assigned put on sackcloth on everything. Oh man, you know. But this is what the king said. I don't know if that was that's in there for humor. I don't know if they really did that, but that's what it says. You have a nation. You have a king that worships a goddess named Ishtar. They believe in the fertility goddess. And they hear these words of Jonah. And they stop to worship their own God. And they believe in Yahweh. This is intense. This is God's former people from the the table of nations in Genesis 10. God pursues people. Pagan or not, he pursues them. He, just doesn't pursue, he also pursues the stubborn religious prophets. The stubborn religious people of God. If you read the Old Testament, God's people are the most stubborn people. And God still works with them, still works through them. Because God's love is pretty stu- stubborn too. So who knows? God may relent and with compassion turn from his great anger so that we will not perish. It's pretty common when people are facing extinction that they turn to God. You know, sometimes people in their lives, in your relational world, something catastrophic happens to them and they start to seek and turn to God and they become people that are on your front burners. Right. Sometimes it's cancer. Sometimes someone died. Sometimes a a life change, a loss of job, where they are starting to reflect on man, Is there something more in my life that I should be seeking? But that's your world. That's your relational world. Who knows? God may relent and with compassion turn his fierce anger so that we will not perish. You know, these people admitted. They admitted. They were mourned. They were convicted. They decided to believe in God and then they chose to put their faith in God. It's a pretty common transition. People people come to a a realization, they believe, and then they have to choose to put their faith in God. You may find yourself in Jonah's shoes right now thinking, what about me? Well, you're going to have to choose, commit, decide to put your faith In God. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, He relented and did not bring on them the destruction He had threatened. The Ninevites changed their minds and God shows mercy. God is full of mercy. God does not treat us like our sins deserve. That's right. You ever grew up in a household where your parents treated you like your sins deserved? <laughs> you, ever, you ever grew up with a family that treated you like of what your sins deserved? God is not like that. A lot of times we picture God like our someone like our parents and how they treated us more than what our sins deserve. God is well beyond that. He's full of compassion. Because God is concerned more about people than process. God is really concerned that you, his family, gets on board with him. If if there are anyone or any one of us we can relate to, it's Jonah. Now, there's some strange things, like I said earlier. There's some strange things in this narrative. I'm going to point out a few observations. And I'm not just talking about the fish. That was strange enough. It's not a whale. It's a fish. It's a huge fish. Maybe it's still out there. I don't know. But it's a huge fish. Jonah is the most successful prophet in biblical history. And he's not happy about it. I find that so odd. I'm going to say it again. He is the most successful prophet of the Bible, of the Old Testament. There's not a story like that where he is the most successful, where 120,000 people, an entire city changes and follows God. Jeremiah did that for years and no one followed God. Imagine those guys screaming, I can't stop what you're doing. Shut up, prophet. Jonah is the most successful Yet he is not happy. Five words. And he convinces Nineveh to repent. Everyone from the king down to the animals. To a God they don't even know. That's strange. That's powerful. It's an odd story dressing animals in sackcloth. It's an odd story seeing a begrudging prophet. It's an odd story to see sailors, pagan sailors, praying to Yahweh. It's just odd. Everyone in the in this story is more obedient to God than Jonah is. <laughs> I just find that hilarious. Everyone's more obedient. And yet Jonah is saturated by a divine mercy he himself can't even comprehend. The book of Jonah teaches a lesson that its own prophet can't even hear. It's just one of these books, you're like, what in the world? It's just a lot about humanity that we expect judgment and prophecy, but find mercy odd. And that's where Jonah was at. The Ninevites, the king, embraces Israelite customs to show his penance. Or his repentance to God. This is a unique story. It's a national conversion. You know, we, we've been talking a little bit about oikos and how people are in our life and how God puts them in our in our world. 95% of people come to God through relationships. This story is out of that model. But We know that 95% of people come to God that way because they've either demonstrated faith or they've had a conversation about faith. They've intersected somehow. And we know that relational world to be oikos. Meaning people that we do life with. People that God has, God has put in your life But we do see mirrored is the attitudes of Jonah in our life. Because I believe we can resist the call that God extends to us to even have an impact on those around us. We'd rather enjoy coming to church than having an impact in our world. And there are people around us that need Jesus. I I believe you believe everyone needs Jesus. And we should look around and see if God is placed them on the front burners of your life, of my life. These are people that God's put right in front of you. He loves them. He wants them to know him. He wants you to share his heart for people. Because God is concerned more about people than process. Relational equity. I mean, you have, you have a leverage in a relationship. I mean, you know, it's kind of like having a house and you got a lot of equity and you have choices. People that you have relational equity with, they know you. They trust you. They believe what you say because they know you you can have a conversation with them without scaring them because they know you. That relational equity. I want you to think about people in your life that you know under the the principle that everyone needs Jesus. That God has put in your life and they know you. They may be scared of Jesus, but they are not scared of you. They may be scared of a church building, but they are not scared of you. So the question is, with whom have you already built this equity with? There are people that you already have relationships with. You may not even realize it, but you have a great relationship with them and you don't even know it. We're gonna talk about this a lot in the coming months, is making a list, checking it twice. People that you love hanging out with, people that you're already hanging out with, you love hanging out with them, you see them all the time, it's easy, it's great. You call them, they call you, you're involved already. They should be on that list. People that they, that you already, you love hanging out with them. They love hanging out with you. They should be on that list. It's easy. They're on the front burners. We have chemistry. And then there there are people that it's not so natural. It's not so easy. In fact, it makes me a little bit uncomfortable, but they're in my world. They need some investing. Get involved with investment. Intentional about building the relationship. I called it last week, Jesus intentional. Influence in their life. Remember, we don't get to pick who's in our relation to Oikos. God picks them. Our job is to identify them. That's why it's supernatural. God put them there because He wants you to reach them for Him. So we're we're trying to help you identify who these people might be. With whom are you intentionally building relationships with? That's the question. That's where we want to really encourage you to open your eyes to see what God is doing right in your world, right around you. There's also people that that are not necessarily like at your work. Um, They're not uh, at your uh, immediate uh, neighbors. But there are people that because because it, it, is really about where you live sometimes and what you're doing. Like my kids play sports. So there's another set of people that I can have to investigate. I'm in their world just for the fall. It's football world. And there are people in there that I should investigate because I want to be temporarily there. And so they're not at work. They're not in my normal spot, but they're at my kid's school. It's the lady who holding a sign that always knows me because I'm always breaking her rules. She knows me. I should investigate more. There are parents that I know because of my son's sports that I can investigate more because they are part of my relational world. Having that conversation. Pray about it. Pray about having that conversation with people that you've identified that God must have put him here. This is odd. You know, God can always find someone else to do his work, but God was committed to Jonah. God could always find another prophet to send to Nineveh, but he was committed to Jonah. God could find someone else to preach to your city. To preach to your classroom, to be to preach to your office. But God chose you. He chose you. He says, I want you to restore my family of humans back to me. He chose you. In Jonah 1, Jonah was a failure of a prophet. In chapter 2, he was like, okay, I'll do it, but I'm not, I'll do it begrudgingly, but I'll still do it. And God gives him a second chance. Take a look at this. God gave Jonah a second chance. Look at some of these lists of these people that God gave second chances to. Abraham. Ran to Egypt. Lied about who his wife was. was a liar. Ah, she's my sister. God called him back. I need you. You're, you're, I'm going to make a nation with you. And there's Jacob. Deceived his dad, lied, deceived his brother, stole the inheritance. A nation was built. God came to him and they did a little wrestling match. It was a tie and he got a new name. Maybe the angel won. who knows. And then there was Moses, killed an Egyptian, runs to the desert, hides out. God gives him a second chance. Then there's Peter. Denies knowing Jesus. Jesus comes, comes back and gives him a second chance. Maybe you feel like you've been a failure. Man, I've had a, I had ai had a bad 2018. I didn't do much spiritually. It's like I hid most of the time. It's like I never, I never even thought about my relational world. I never even thought about talking about God and my friends. I never even, Maybe this is your second chance. Maybe if you were a student last semester, you didn't do much. You remember I'm thinking about Oikos. You shared a Bible talk for 20 minutes and that was all you did. There's much more to your relational world. There's people in your classroom. They're, They're everywhere that God puts there for us to identify. Because God is more stubborn. God's love is more stubborn than you are. God is more committed to you than your service. Now, don't get me wrong. God doesn't overlook rebellion and doesn't, doesn't like overlook sin. There's a price for disobedience. So don't read into what I'm not saying. Just don't let the devil ever tell you that God gives up on his children because he doesn't. And the Ninevites are a good example of that. I mean, think about that. You're a sinful parent. Would you ever abandon your children? No. But the Ninevites were God's. Those were his children. Humanity is his children. He wants to restore them back to him. Our father is perfect in his love. That there's always a way back to God. No matter how far you've gone. No matter how far you've distanced. No matter how far you've run. There is a way back to God. He always has that. In Romans 5, the law was brought in so that sin might increase. But where sin has increased, grace increased all the more. Because God's love is more stubborn than you are. The fish is not a symbol of God's judgment of Jonah. The fish is a symbol of God's commitment to Jonah. It's a reminder that you simply just can't outrun the love God has for you. No matter what you've done, God's love is more stubborn than you. I'm not in your situation. I don't know what's going on in your life. But I know that sin entangles us. I know that sin stumbles us. It makes us doubt our faith. It makes us doubt that God can use us. God's love is more stubborn than you. God will even work through your hard heart to save others. It's another odd thing about the story of Jonah is God still works even though Jonah's heart is not fully there yet. When you're rebellious, God's commitment is steadfast. I love God. I love when I, I, I just think about that concept because when I attach truth and I add faith, it's powerful. When you, when you have biblical truth and you commit to the truth with your faith, it's powerful. Because God works through his word and he works through his people. Faith defines certainty. You know, it's, it's, that, it's that example that we get in the definition of faith. It's a favorable and uh in a um confident expectation truth defines tendency god has built a system he's built a relational world around you the truth of his word explains what tends to happen when you follow a certain course based on your life and based on reality it defines the tendency it directs you and power defines capability now, let me show you a contrast to that. Truth minus faith is wasteful. Truth minus faith is wasteful. Because the lack of certainty can waste the opportunity that God's given us to reach people that He wants us to reach. We waste opportunities. Think about all the opportunities you wasted because you knew the truth, but you didn't have the faith to carry it out. It was just a wasteful opportunity. Then you have faith minus truth. And that's pitiful. That's when you know that they believe in things that are outside the Bible. It's not even biblical what they believe. It's like, oh, ay, aye, 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 aye. That's not what it says. But they, they don't read their Bible to find out. They just have this This faith, but there's no truth to it. There's no biblical truth to their faith. And then you have truth plus faith, and that's powerful. The truth of God's word in the hands of obedient people is all that's required to change the world. The truth in the hands of obedient people is all that's required to change the world and change your world. That's it. It's very simple. Sometimes we pray, God, show us your power, and God's like, my power's not the problem. (laughs) God wants to unleash power. God is a constant. What's missing is our obedience, because we feel so uncomfortable We don't want to step out. It's just it's just uncomfortable. And again, these are people that know you. Yeah, it might feel awkward. But our obedience is the trigger for God's power in our life. It's the trigger. The relationships in our families. You know, ministers, we teach you the truths of God's word. But your obedience is the trigger to unlock the power of love in the lives of those around you. That's the trigger. This is the Jonah the prophet. He, was, he unlocked the power of God by his obedience. Even though his heart wasn't, wasn't there. He obeyed God and unleashed the power of his word to the Ninevites. We'll close out with this. To the Jews who had believed Jesus, if you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples. Most of us know this passage. Then you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Give us what to do and how to live, and we obey it. Why do we do that? Because God works through his people and through his word. The truth will only set you free if you know the truth and if you obey the truth. You'll know it in here, in your heart, and that'll set you free. In fact, it'll set your entire community free. It'll set your entire classroom free. It'll set... It'll it'll free the entire city. God is ready. His power is not the issue. It's our faith and obedience. So next week we're going to look at Jonah and how he responded to being the most successful prophet in Old Testament history. But for us today, I want us to consider putting your heart through the lens of Jonah and his thoughts and attitudes. And where are you at? And where can God take you? And where can God unleash his power in your life? And the answer is simple. Trust him, obey him, and unleash the power. Please stand with me. I'm going to have the song lead lead us in one more song, and we'll close out. And That'll be the end of our worship service. Thank you for your time.